3: Good morning. It's 8:30 on Friday, January 15th. I'm Karen Brown and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, after the health department's scheduled vaccinations abruptly reach capacity, residents seek answers from officials about when the next shipment of doses will be available. Then, with FBI warnings of protests beginning this weekend throughout the nation, we examine Mississippi's preparations. Plus, 60 years after the first Freedom Rides, we reflect with a civil rights veteran who was arrested in Jackson and sent to Parchman. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippians are expressing frustration after surging demand filled all the state's drive through coronavirus vaccination appointments earlier this week. After Governor Tate Reeves announced the state would deviate from CDC guidelines and extend vaccine eligibility to all residents 65 and older, as well as all residents 18 and over with underlying health conditions, thousands of residents overwhelmed the Department of Health scheduling apparatus, causing long call waits and website delays. Preston Cantor of Grenada was trying to schedule an appointment for himself and his 85 year old uncle. He tells our Kobe Vance the experience has left him frustrated.
4: He gave out a phone number of course and uh and uh and a website I think and uh and he said all you got to do is go to that and you know you every you know the world will be bright and shiny once again and uh so ever since then I have been diligently trying to call this these phone numbers this this website i've talked to the health department and grenada and greenwood and getting all this information but i never i never uh, i'm still trying to get a uh, a vaccination so uh, it was it was uh extremely frustrating and and it reminds me why People dislike the government, dependent on the government because they can't do anything. Apparently,
1: were, uh, were you trying to call? Are you going online?
4: I did both. I did both, and uh, uh, I would think of something else, and I'd I call the health departments and uh, you know around me, and, and uh, you cannot access anybody, which is, is I mean, uh, in most situations you'd call that a lie, but nevertheless. Uh, you cannot, and I've tried a hundred times in in the in the day since I started, and and uh, it's extremely frustrating, and and uh, and it's and it's sad because a lot of people, while we're waiting, I'm sure a lot of people are going to die because of this, and uh, uh, hopefully I'm not one, but uh, it is sad.
1: Could you talk about you know having the Having been told that you were able to get the vaccine after you said waiting for a long time, and then now to the point where the Department of Health says we just have no vaccines available until maybe mid February, uh, what what does that feel like?
4: Uh, it's it's uh, it's the icing on the cake. It's 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 bitter. It's a bitter taste, and it's uh, and and it's, it makes you feel helpless.
3: Preston Cantor, a resident of Grenada with our Kobe Vance. Officials say the demand and fulfillment of the current allocation will lead to continued allocations from the federal government in the coming weeks, but State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs says the change in the distribution plan is revealing an imbalance in access that is detrimental to the under-resourced. Our initial plan, based on the tiering, really
2: was going to be consistent with the CDC guidance. But as you've seen, and and now it's happened, um, all that is no longer applicable. Um, we got guidance from HHS that they no longer want us even to consider using that, just to go ahead and do everybody over 65 with medical conditions, and just give it to as many people as quickly as we can. And and that's that's okay. But what we've seen is the, as we've seen a real sort of imbalance between have and have-nots. Um, people who have cars and good computer skills can get an appointment and people who don't can't. Um, we uh, ha- had a, a great intent to work a lot with um, local providers, uh, community health centers to get vaccine out. But then last week, we had an almost wholesale shift to um, large scale drive-thrus. And it certainly got our vaccination numbers up, but it is making the equity issues that that much worse. You can see that of the vaccine distributed, only 15% have gone to folks who identify as African American. And this is actually worse than it was a couple of weeks ago. So this is a huge challenge. Um, we are working to address this. Uh, we are going to try to make sure we open up more locations in, in areas where there is need. But if you look, you look at Heinz, um, you know, it, it is going to have the highest number of folks who are vaccinated, but it's also the biggest county Our population. And we are going to open up a drive through site and in addition to the clinic partners we have. In, I'll say Jackson Hines has been a fantastic partner and we've given them about a thousand doses and they used every single one of them up very quickly. So look forward to getting with them in central Mississippi and and other high value partners going forward.
3: Governor Tate Reeves is defending his decision to expand coronavirus vaccine access that led to bottlenecks, system crashes and hard feelings. Reeves says the state has been able to push out more vaccines since the change, saying doses don't do any good sitting on shelves.
0: Well, obviously, I wish we had more uh, vaccinations available. Uh, Mississippi has received approximately 300,000 doses of the vaccine. In the first three weeks of that program, uh, the vast majority of the doses went to hospitals, and to date... Um, after three weeks they had inoculated 19,500. Yesterday alone we inoculated over 10,000 in one day and that's because we've been able to push out vaccines not only to hospitals but to private care providers as well as we've opened these state-sponsored sites where uh, we are doing about five or six thousand a day. Um, Obviously anytime you have Uh, You open things up to a large number of people. You're you're apt to have challenges with both your call center as well as uh, your website, and we're certainly not immune from that. But what makes me the most happy is that in the last 36 hours, we scheduled scheduled appointments for 52,000 Mississippians to get shots in arms. These doses don't do anybody any good, if they're sitting on shelves somewhere. They only do good if you get them in arms, and now we have the system open for anyone who is in the most vulnerable category, those who have pre-existing conditions, those who are over the age of 65. We're going to continue to get allocations on a weekly basis. I'm going to get 35000 doses early next week which we'll use at our state-run facilities and i'm going to get probably an additional 30 plus thousand second doses that we can use to give second doses to those who have already gotten dose number one
3: coming up with fbi warnings of protests beginning this weekend throughout the nation we examine mississippi's preparations this is mississippi edition on mpb think radio Mississippi law enforcement is on high alert to prepare for possible armed protests at state capitol buildings in the days leading up to the presidential inauguration on January 20th. This week, the FBI issued warnings as more information was gathered following the violent insurrection last Wednesday. Sean Tyndall is the Department of Public Safety Commissioner. He tells our Kobe Vance he's coordinating with partners at all levels to ensure any activity remains peaceful and safe.
5: I think this is something that could happen uh, in Mississippi as it could happen in any state. And, and as we learned, uh, with the bombing uh, in Nashville that occurred on Christmas day, uh, we always have to be prepared and vigilant uh, in our duties, especially, uh, when it comes to protecting areas such as courthouses, uh, and the state Capitol and other government buildings. Um, so we are constantly working on uh, ways to improve, um, uh, uh, our role our response and, and security at those locations
1: is the state prepared to respond to a, a protest if it does break out into violence
5: um, I can tell you that we are working together to put on a, a response plan with our partners including the Capitol Police the uh, Jackson PD uh, Mississippi Bureau of Investigation as well as the office of Homeland Security uh, to make sure that we're able to respond uh, adequately and quickly um, we've Recently had an event uh, at the state capitol for the uh, flying of the raising of the new state flag. And, and that was uh, a good opportunity for us to uh, put some measures in place at that event uh, Again, securing the capitol. And I would encourage anybody that, that is, feels like they need to make a protest are certainly entitled to do that. But, it, but we need to do it in a way that's respectful and, and in a way that uh, doesn't promote violence so that we can avoid um, any sort of uh, incidents like what we saw in D.C.
1: You joined the Department of Public Safety right before the Black Lives Matter protest here in Jackson. That uh, I believe you started around May uh, May the twentieth or twenty first around that era, around that time.
5: That's right. June first was my official
1: first day. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, and just a few days of, later, we saw the uh, like thousands of people jo- coming together in Jackson for a, a Black Lives Matter protest. Um, what yeah, what it, were the conversations at that time?
5: Well, at that time, much like they are now, it, it's, it's, we want to be. Uh, in, Immediately available. We want to be ready. We want to monitor the situation. uh, You know, and if you look back at those events around the Capitol during that time, uh, at certain points we we had uh, highway patrolmen and Mississippi Bureau of Investigation agents actually giving water out uh, to the protesters um, and and trying to assist. I think one of them got overheated, and we were trying to uh, render first aid. So. Uh, again, it's about protecting the communities in case things do get out of hand, but also ensuring the First Amendment rights of those that want to uh, peacefully uh, protest and, and they what they feel like needs to be said.
1: Now, Mississippi did keep peaceful protests throughout the summer, but in other cities, in other major cities throughout the U.S., we saw some violence break out um, to varying degrees. Um, What were some of the conversations that were had uh, throughout the summer among law enforcement? And now uh, as we begin to see other types of uh, protests that are starting to break out across the country, uh, do you think that those still apply?
5: I think they do. And I mean, one of the things that we have emphasized and I know have been emphasized are de-escalation techniques to try to make sure that uh, situations don't get out of control. But I also think it's important uh, for the general public as well as the protesters to know that we are there. Uh, to protect and serve. And, and if, if somebody does get out of line or or that there is uh, any, any sort of violence or destruction on their p- part, uh, we will be there and we will act swiftly and appropriately to stop it from happening.
1: And you mentioned de-escalation earlier. What would you tell Mississippians who are upset right now um, if because maybe they believe the president's uh, rhetoric that he there was election fraud, uh, which has not been substantiated by any of the lawsuits that he has filed?
5: Well, again, I go back to every citizen has a right to express their protest. And, and uh, if they're upset with the way things are being managed or run by the government, they certainly uh, have a constitutional right to express that. Um, you know, but at the same token, we have to do it in a manner that, that is respectful and peaceful. And then when you when you start taking it too far and you destroy property or hurt others, uh, then that's when law enforcement has to step in and, again, act swiftly and appropriately to, to stop those actions. And, and um, you know, again, I would encourage anybody that feels they have a, a grievance to always be uh, available to express their constitutional protective right of disagreement. But, you know, to do it in a way that's respectful is the most important part in my mind.
1: Okay. Is there anything else that we might not discuss uh, that I'm not about to brought up that you feel is important for Mississippians to know right now?
5: Well, I, I do think it's important that um, when people read anything on social media or other outlets to... Um, also, do their own research. Just don't read something and assume that, that, it, that it's true. Um, you know, you, you probably need to figure it out for yourself. A lot of things get shared on social media that just just aren't accurate. And so um, they need to uh, take the time, research it themselves, and come to their own conclusion, not base it uh, just on something they've read
1: on Facebook. Sean Tyndall is the Commissioner for the Mississippi Department of Public Safety. Sean, thank you for your time. Thank you.
3: Coming up, 60 years after the first Freedom Rides, we reflect with a civil rights veteran who was arrested in Jackson and sent to Parchman. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
5: Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker.
3: We are uh, You Could Drive-In Theater. We're the last operating drive-in in in the state of
5: Mississippi. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker.
3: Freak me out that you could
0: come and drive your car and park and watch the movie outside
5: you can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app mile marker a mississippi roads podcast
3: this podcast is a local production of mississippi public broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you if you can please donate today at mpbonline.org and thanks A civil rights veteran who has worked and fought for 60 years, David Dennis, was one of the original Freedom Riders who rode from Montgomery to Jackson in 1961. He was arrested and sent to Parchman the moment he stepped off the bus in Mississippi's capital city. He would later go on to serve as field secretary for the Congress of Racial Equality and co-director of the Council of Federated Organizations. He also helped organize Freedom Summer in 1964. Today, he will Keynote the Margaret Walker Center's virtual 53rd annual Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Birthday Convocation at 10 a.m. Dennis joined us earlier this week to reflect on the events that led to his ride into Jackson and how he views the recent surge of protests in the fight against racial injustice.
6: My motivation was coming from several pieces. One, one is I was I wanted to go to finish school. I had just gotten out of jail in New Orleans for. Uh, sitting in, uh, for picketing at the, at a McCrory store, uh, downtown. And so I was really trying to finish up my semester and I didn't want to go, but the, uh, when I saw the, uh, Freedom Riders who came into New Orleans, uh, from being beaten so bad, I mean, Jim Peck was, I mean, he's bandaged up from head to toe almost and the rest of them. Uh, that was his passion want to go, but I was still was so reluctant reluctance. So I thought in between, uh, the passion is. And so when I got to, uh, to Montgomery is really when this sort of change came over me, when I really began to really become committed to the movement. But as soon as I got there with all this, there was a meeting at a Dr. Harris's house with a local dentist. And in this meeting with people I have read about, like Dr. King, Diane Nash, uh, Y.T. Walker, you name them. And the civil rights movement, they were at this house and they, in the midst of a debate as to whether or not the ride should continue. And so during this debate piece, is, I'm also having a personal debate as to whether or not I want to continue this ride or whether I want to get back, try to figure out a way to get back to school. Young people were insisting to continue the ride, and the elders there... We're trying to convince them not to, uh, because of the fact is they felt that they should, uh, they might be getting, they'll be injured and maybe killed. And so during this there is it was like uh, you know something happened. I mean I, I, said, I heard this voice in the room that said there's not enough space in this room for both God and fear. And whatever happened there, <clears throat> I just uh, you know felt it. You know and I just was committed. And from that point on, fear was, uh, I i had been afraid during the movement. I was afraid going, I, was, I volunteered to be on the first bus. Uh, it was like, this is something I have to do now. It's a part of my life. And so, uh, but the uh, it wasn't that I wasn't afraid, because we had to go through a mob to get to the bus station. And I think that I don't know of anyone who got on those buses, especially the first bus that I was on. Felt that we were going to be, we were going to make it from Montgomery to Jackson, Mississippi. We had no idea that President Kennedy had already decided that that bus was going to get through no matter what is, and he had all these National Guards and stuff like that along the highway, the helicopters overhead and whatever. Uh, we didn't know that was going to happen, um, but that was that. that was the time, um, or whatever, that in that room. And people prayed, and uh, and we decided the young people decided we were going to go no matter what because to stop this bus ride, uh, we would let them win, and so we couldn't
3: do that. So there were no problems on the way to Jackson, but what happened when you arrived in Jackson? Well, so,
6: but we actually, to be honest with you about this, is what people don't know is that my opinion is we were arrested before we even left Montgomery. Because we were, we got once we got on that bus, you had National Guards on the bus. Uh, your bus was escorted by the National Guards, state police, whatever you have. And it only made one stop, and that was at the state line to change guards. That's the Mississippi Alabama line. And then we went straight, I mean, people couldn't go to the bathroom. We had, I mean, it was just straight there. So when we got arrived to Jackson, there was a line of, uh, of, 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 of the, uh, the National Guard, police, and others. That some days you got off the bus. That was like a little uh, a walk uh, through uh, that people walk through, straight from the bus into the white waiting room. Straight through the white. When you enter the white waiting room, the chief of police was saying, "Is okay. You cannot be in here. You have to leave, or you're going to be arrested." Move on, and you walk right straight through that door, through the waiting room, <laughs> to. Into the back outside, into the back of a So, as far as I was concerned, we were arrested when we left Montgomery. Uh, um, but that, but that's what happened. Nothing uh, happened. that we went to bed, and then straight to Parchman.
3: How long were you held at Parchman?
6: I wasn't held that long. Is I guess it was maybe about a week uh, because we were, Some of us were uh, uh, released on bond. They got us out on bond. In order to go and recruit more students, more uh, people to come on to continue to rise, and also raise money to support the rise. So that's what I did. When I, I, I came out with some of the New Orleans core people to continue to do that. And then we had to go back to, uh, uh, to for arraignment and stuff like that. Is and went back to parchment.
3: Did you go on other freedom rides?
6: Yeah, we went on some testing, uh, after that out of, uh, Shreveport and, uh, around in Louisiana. Uh, and, uh, some of us went into Macomb and other places. And so there was these short, uh, freedom rides. Uh, I was not a- arrested on any other rides per se, except that it was, I was arrested taking some people to, uh, um, uh, to the bus station to participate and Iraq in which my hometown is. In fact, I remember that day because that was August the 4th of, of uh, 1961, uh, uh, which was also the same day that Barack Obama was born.
3: Does it seem like it was 60 years ago? <laughs> no. In,
6: in one sense, it, it, you know, uh, my son and I are, are, are writing a, a book of memoirs and stuff like that is so a lot of the stuff that happened during that period of time is you know you' just forgotten about um, but it doesn't it, I mean in some senses it's almost as if it happened yesterday uh, and and then you can uh, I mean it's really in fact is the what's happening today in the country is really reminiscent of what was going on then.
3: I wanted to get your that reaction is- to Black Lives Matter.
6: Yeah, well, uh, first of all, in terms of the Black, the black Lives Matter, uh, Matter movement reminds me of corn snakes, young people, and what we were doing back in the 60s. And so what we were doing seemed to be radical to some people. So what we did in terms of marches and demonstrations then is, a lot of people wrote about that, and they talk, call them riots you know, when actually what they were doing was protests. Uh, you know, so the, the, the situation with the Black Lives Matter during the summer, uh, we, I saw them as protests, and in some cases some of them got out of hand. Uh, what caused that, I'm not sure, uh, and I don't want to make any speculations about that. Is but, but I thought that the, what the students, the young people were doing, was trying to bring uh, an attention to issues that uh, that the country has sort uh, uh, of avoided. Looking
3: at David J. Dennis, Sr. is the keynote speaker at the 53rd annual MLK Virtual Birthday Convocation this Friday, and I thank you so much for being with us and sharing your story with us. Thank you for having me. In 1969, Margaret Walker organized the first MLK convocation at Jackson State to honor Dr. King just nine months after his assassination, making it one of the oldest commemorations of his life in the nation. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it.